Okay, I want to run something by you. Let's have a meeting real quick. I want to run something by you. I have an idea. I haven't fully committed to it yet. Um, just thinking about different ways we could do things around here. Uh, and this is one of those things. Um, the, the sermon time, the teaching time, the message time. Um, and because uh, I think we have, to, we have to continually think about new ways to be creative as a community um, in, in doing whatever it is that, that God's going to do in us and, and, and through us. Um, so one of the things that I've been kicking around, and I've, I've talked with Emily about it, and uh, I've been kicking around an idea that what, what if every so often, maybe not every week, but every so often, uh, we turn this time into more of a conversation time uh, because one of the things that I've loved about Wednesday, so the Wednesday night thing, we're, we're done. We did the Bible really class again. We're going to try and do something again in the spring. But one of the things that I really love about that is the conversational nature of it. And um, I, I'm reminded every, every time I do something like that, just how smart and wonderful um, you all are. And so it's fun for me to uh, to hear the, the contributions that you all make to the conversation and it continuously blows me away. And so what would you think um, if we every so often made this time uh, sort of a, 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 like a conversation, like you would contribute to, to what we're doing during the message time? Does that sound interesting to you? Does that sound um, like you might want to participate in something like that? Like last week, I asked a question, and I got some answers, and I was like, ooh, yay. I liked that. So what would you think? Any? Yeah, sure. Want to try it? Yeah, okay. So, you know, I, not every week, um, but I also didn't want to just spring it on you. I was going to do it today, and I was going to be like, guess what? You all are going to have to talk. But so... I don't know when I'll do it the first time, but, but okay, thanks. Let's try it. A meeting adjourned. All in favor, say aye. Aye. All opposed, same sign. <laughs> Am I done? Do I have to, like, you all approved that? Okay. Huh? Uh, no, we'll just, uh, it, it might be a little weird for online folks, but all folks, I don't use that word. There it did. We, I can repeat stuff. So that way you have to say less if I have to repeat it all and then you don't have to contribute as much. We're wasting time. Mark 6, uh, 1 through 13. Uh, Mark 6, 1 through 13 is what we're going to look at uh, this morning. You'll find it on the screen behind me or on the screen in front of you, or if you've got it with you, however you want to follow along before we read it, let's pray together. Thank you, um, God, once again for, for this time where we, we open, your, open your word. Uh, come Holy Spirit upon us, we pray. We pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds and help us to pay attention to you. That you would be the one who speaks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus left, went to his hometown. 
accompanied by his disciples, that's Nazareth. When the disciples came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked, what is this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. We'll go that far. So, I was reminded of this story. Um, came up on, I don't remember if it was Twitter or um, Facebook. Probably Twitter, because I'm not on Facebook hardly at all. But uh, So, a guy walks into uh, the DC subway uh, station and uh, leans up against a wall beside a trash can. Uh, he really doesn't look like anyone special. He's just dressed in like a, an oversized um, long sleeve t-shirt. He's got jeans on. Uh, he opens up a, a case, uh, a, a violin case, and he, he sets it down uh, at his feet. And he throws some seed money in there, a couple of dollars and, uh, and, some, and some change just to get people to, to look at that and be like, oh, he wants me to throw money in there, right? So then for the next 45 minutes uh, in the D.C. subway, this guy named Joshua Bell plays Mozart, plays Bach, uh, as thousands of people uh, stream by, and most of them hardly taking notice at all. But if they were paying attention, they might recognize this guy for the world-renowned violinist that he is. If, if they knew anything about violins, then they would be able to recognize that the violin he was holding was a rare Stradivarius uh, worth three million dollars just sitting there playing it in the D.C. subway. It was all part of a thing done by the Washington Post, uh, an experiment in context, perception, and priorities, right? In other words, in an ordinary setting, in an ordinary but somewhat inconvenient time, would people be able to recognize musical genius and greatness if it were placed there? in front of them. Three days earlier, before this incident, he had sold out the Boston Symphony Hall. Seats were going for over $100 a piece. He's been paid as much as, or more now, than $1,000 per minute for his services. But in the subway, he earned $32 as 27 people stopped and took notice. Isn't that interesting? That's fascinating. One of the most accomplished, 
best violinists in the whole world, on the planet, just wears ordinary clothes, sets up in an ordinary subway station, plays for 45 minutes, and pretty much no one pays any attention at all. Because sometimes the ordinary, the familiar, what we think we know can sort of blind us or get in the way of us seeing the extraordinary. So Joshua Bell could do no musical miracle there because no one paid attention, no one cared, no one believed, no one was expecting it. Sometimes the ordinary, the familiar, what we think we know can blind us to the extraordinary. So one day, uh, Jesus went to Nazareth. He went to his hometown. It wasn't a big town. More like a small neighborhood, maybe like 100 to 200 people there. It was a place where everyone knew each other. So Jesus in this place was known. They know Jesus. He grew up there as a boy. He would go to, his, he would go to the local synagogue with his daddy, Joseph. He would learn Torah. He would learn the Psalms. He would learn the prophets, all in Hebrew. So he grew up in this place. Now, it's, gen- it's, it's generally thought that uh, Joseph, Jesus' dad, died maybe when Jesus was a teenager-ish. So as was the custom of the day, he sort of became the, the man of the household, right? He had those responsibilities. He would have taken his little brothers to the synagogue so they too could learn how to read and learn the customs and the ways of his own people. So that's kind of where he, he grew up. People know him there. And then when Jesus was about 30 years old, uh, we know he left town for a little while, right? He went to a place called Galilee, and he hung out with his, his older cousin, John. Uh, we know him as the Baptist. He even got baptized by John. Uh, then he disappeared into the wilderness for like a month, a whole month, he just disappeared into the wilderness. And then when he came back, it was almost like he seemed to have this renewed sense of, of purpose for his life. And instead of carpentry and working with his hands, he decided now he was going to teach. And he was going to heal with, with his hands. He rescued people who were, uh, who were possessed by all sorts of things that shouldn't be inside of them. He touched and healed lepers. He helped the lame walk. He brought a little dead girl from death to life. Crowds began to follow him. Like he was making, by this time, he was sort of making a a little bit of a splash. He formed this little team around himself. We know around himself, we know them as learners or disciples, right? Just ordinary people. Most of them were fishermen, right? But he's sort of gaining this reputation. And then he comes home. It's the Sabbath, goes into the synagogue. When he gets there, the elders are like, hey, Jesus, will you read the Scriptures for, for today? And it was expected if you were going to read the Scriptures, then afterward you were going to have to, to say something about it. Now imagine if you came and, and I was like, hey, can you do the Scripture and sermon today? Which we kind of just talked about a little bit ago. But anyway, so Jesus was like, sure, he did. They gave him the scroll. He read it, and he preached his first sermon. And Mark tells us that many people who were there were amazed, right? They were amazed, but this wasn't the kind of amazement that Jesus had experienced in in Galilee when he was sort of gathering crowds. This was more of a, a skeptical sort of amazement. Where did this man get these things, they said? 
Like, who does this guy think he is? He's just Jesus. Like, we know him. He's a carpenter. He grew up here. This is Mary's son. Like, we know his brothers and sisters. Right? He may be an all-star out there in Galilee, but in here, we know him. He's just Jesus. And Mark tells us they took offense at him. They took offense at him. And because they took offense at him, Mark tells us that he could do no miracles there. In Luke's version of the story, they drive him out of town and try to throw him off a cliff. Now, in this version of the story, there's no attempted murder that takes place, but we know that Jesus just sort of, he just leaves town. He just goes. He walks away. And for all we know, he never went back. Leaves his hometown behind. Never goes back. Who does he think he is? He's just a carpenter. This is Jesus. We know him. We know, we know Jesus. This is Mary's son. Like He's nothing special. Sometimes the ordinary, the familiar, what we think we know can blind us to the extraordinary. I think it's amazing. Like You really think about this. I think it's amazing that the good people of Nazareth, they missed something important because they thought they knew everything they needed to know. There was an unwillingness to be surprised. There was an unwillingness to, to, be, to be curious there. They lacked the curiosity of children. You know, Jesus said, if, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to become like a child. What's more curious than a child besides cats? Children are like the most curious. Right? They lacked, they lacked curiosity. They lacked a, a, a willingness to be surprised. It never occurred to them that God would come among them as someone as ordinary as Jesus, the carpenter, Mary's boy. They thought they knew everything they needed to know about Jesus. And because of that, they could not, would not be surprised, would not be curious. Now, I could stop at this point and sort of go on like an angry rant about this would be my, this is just what I think, my opinion. But I could go on sort of like an angry rant over, over all the things that I, all of the ways I think that, that the church right now in our time, we think we know everything we need to know about Jesus and we have this unwillingness to be surprised. We have this unwillingness to be, to be curious that I think in some ways we reject the presence of Jesus. We reject, we're blinded to what God might be doing in the world. Like, for instance, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it now. Um, like, I think the church for, for years and years and years has just, we think we know what we need to know. We think we know it. So we have this unwillingness to be surprised, even by let's say, the, the LGBTQ community. Like, we're unwilling to be, because we think we know all that we need to know, we ignore the goodness and the beauty and the creativity and the fruit and all of the beauty that's coming out of that community. We ignore it and we don't see what Jesus is up to in and through that community because we think we know everything we need 
to know and we're unwilling to be surprised. I think we could say the same thing about communities of color. Like we could probably go on and on and on. We think we know. Like I could go on an angry rant right now of all the ways I think we might be missing and rejecting Jesus, but I'm not going to. There's just a mini one. So here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to read a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor, who's an amazing writer and pastor. If you want to read some good stuff, look her up and get her books and read them. Listen to what she says. God is all around us, all around us, speaking to us through the most unlikely people. Sometimes it's a mysterious stranger, but more often I suspect it's people so familiar to us that we simply overlook them. Our own children, our parents, our own friends and neighbors, all those hometown prophets who challenge us and love us and tell us who we are. You know what? I like that. Oh, I like that a lot. It is deep. It is rich. It is beautiful. God speaks to us through ordinary things, ordinary people, ordinary experiences, ordinary relationships, all the time. I love that idea. I do. But I also don't love that idea. Like that idea also makes me uncomfortable because it reminds me that I'm probably a lot more blind than I want to admit that I'm a lot less aware of the presence of the divine than I'd like to be. I mean, it's not like I walk around all day looking at ordinary things and ordinary people and think, oh, look at what God's revealing to me today. Like, this is incredible. I just learned this deep truth about the divine because I'm really paying attention. Maybe you don't have that experience either. Like, maybe you're sort of like me, and if God reveals anything to you at all, sometimes it comes in like a flash of insight. It's sort of like all of a sudden and it doesn't happen on a regular basis whatsoever. And I can't help but think that, I can't help but think how many times I've rejected Jesus. All because I think I know all I need to know about life and how the world works. I can't help but wonder about all the things I've missed because I'm not paying attention to the ordinary things. My wife children, my friends, my family, my neighbor, people who think differently than me. Sometimes the ordinary, the familiar, what we think we know can blind us to the presence of God because we're not paying attention. And I think maybe sometimes we, like the good people in Nazareth, think we end up rejecting Jesus or just missing him altogether. I don't want to reject Jesus. I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss it. You know, I want to do more. I want to represent Jesus. That's who we're supposed to be, right? We're the body of Christ in this world. That's what Paul says. We're the body of Christ. We represent Jesus in this world. That's what I want. And this is, of course, the opportunity that Jesus gives his closest followers right after this story that, that happens. Like, 
He gives them the opportunity to represent him in the world. After they leave Nazareth, he gathers them all together, sends them out two by two, gives them the power and authority to do all the things that they've seen him do. Teaching, healing, loving. Pack light, he says. You're not going to need a lot of stuff. You're not going to need a whole lot of money. Don't take an extra shirt. Why that detail's in there? I don't know. I probably should have looked that up. Right? But you, I know you've only had a few weeks to prepare. Like this is right at the beginning of Jesus's doing what he's doing. He's, he's called them together. They've been following him for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. He's like, I know you just got into this, but don't, don't worry. You'll be okay. Rely on the presence of God and the hospitality of people, and you're going to be just fine. But then he says this in verse 11. If, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. And I imagine him illustrating this as he's sort of dusting off the dust particles from Nazareth because they just rejected him. Right? In other words, we're just ordinary people. You and me, we're just ordinary people. In fact, we're probably going to face some rejection. It's not a warning. Jesus isn't warning. He's just saying, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to happen. If you follow Jesus closely enough, you will face rejection. And just to make sure that, that Mark, his readers, get the point, he tells this story right after this story. You can read it. It's gruesome of John the Baptist getting his head cut off. There he is. John the Baptist's head on a platter getting presented to a young woman. It's interesting. If we follow Jesus, some people aren't going to like it. If we, if, we, um, if we do the things that Jesus did and taught the things that Jesus taught, people might do more than throw insults at us. They might throw stones. They might sell us for 30 pieces of silver. Maybe if we do it after that, they'll crucify us too. You see, the way Mark tells his, God, tells his story about Jesus, he crafts it intentionally. He doesn't compromise. He's not inviting people into a social gathering where we can just talk about religious stuff and make ourselves feel good. Mark's writing to build a community, a community of servants willing to follow Jesus. He's writing to urge people to join a community radically loyal to God and what God is up to in the world. He's clear on this. The reign of God, the rule of God, isn't just contained in Jesus. It's bigger. Jesus calls together a group of ordinary people, most of them fishermen, ordinary followers, so that the reign of God, the rule of God, would end up coming into their midst so that it can then flow out to the rest of the world. Jesus was rejected. If we're following closely enough, we'll probably have some of that too. And it shouldn't surprise us. If we're doing the things that Jesus did, teaching the kinds of things that Jesus taught, hanging around the kind of people that Jesus hung around, all the wrong people, if we're tearing down walls and barriers that divide, that divide and reaching across those barriers to offer love and grace and healing and forgiveness and acceptance and inclusion, we're going to face rejection too, probably by some of the same people who say they follow Jesus. If we people of faith have a hard time recognizing 
the presence of God in the ordinary things in our own lives, then it shouldn't surprise us when people, when people don't recognize the presence of Jesus as we're out there doing our best to represent him in the world. It shouldn't surprise us. So we live, we live, in, we live in interesting times, don't we? Like, I feel like things have changed really quickly. Like it used to be that, that you know, some people call it a post-Christian culture now. Um, I don't know that it ever was Christian culture, which is interesting to me. But sort of a, like it used to be that, that Jesus people were, were, uh, were, were accepted and, and sort of respected in a lot of ways. And, and now that, that like, We've done plenty of things to make people suspicious of us. Ain't that the truth? Plenty of things. And so we, we live in a world where, where it's now, because of our own doing, I think, it's a lot harder to, uh, to do what we do, to follow Jesus. But here's Jesus. He's, he's asking his old neighbors who knew him the best. And now he's asking us to think differently, to learn new things, to have an openness to surprise, to be curious. Here's Jesus asking us to, to follow him into new places to do things we've never done before in ways we've never thought of before, to care more and give more and love more and accept more and serve more and sacrifice more than we ever have before. And if people reject us or don't recognize it as, as God working in us and through us to renew the world, even if people just flat out ignore us, I can't think of a better way to live. Following Jesus that closely. So, let's keep trying. Sound good? Let's pray.